Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're once again putting a saga of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And when we bring a saga to the thing, as it were, we judge the saga by six major categories. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, and thingmen. And once the dust settles after we award prizes and penalties in each category, John and I offer our final judgment and rate the saga on a scale of 1 to 10. So there are seven categories, in fact. If you want to count that way. Well, sure. And this time around, we'll be judging the quirky little saga of Raf the Sly, or Krokarev saga, in Icelandic. That's right. And uh, you know what? I'm glad you said quirky there, because this <laughs> is an odd one. It really is. I, mean, I know we said this in the summary episode, but I'm still a little confused as to why this saga was even included in the Complete Sagas of Icelanders collection. Well, you aren't alone there. Several of our listeners asked the same question, and mm -hmm. uh, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that scholars have also debated the issue. Well, scholars? Debating? Disagreeing even? My word. I never lady-pigged that one coming. <laughs> lady-pigged? I get it. See what I did there? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I saw. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I saw. And you better not do it again, or else I will uh, cloak stuff you. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See? Two can play this game. Well, color me impressed. So uh, what did these illustrious scholarly minds have to say? Well, let me start by saying that this is one of those sagas that nobody talks about. Well, I mean, you say it like that, it sounds like they're ashamed of it. It's a <laughs> They all just generally say they like it and move on. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't start a report on what scholars have said by saying nobody talks about it. Oh, be quiet. I mean, you know it's a rhetorical move. It's like the, the first thing you learn about medieval lit scholarship is the uh, nobody's talking about this interesting I think the thing. first thing you learn is how to spell medieval since nobody <laughs> – the I second thing you learn. Um, so the, it's, this is the old, here's a subject nobody is working on. Now listen to me pontificated about it at length strategy. Yes. Great. Yes. Uh, but in most of those cases, somebody has inevitably said something about it somewhere. Quite right. And that's true here as well. Oh, I'm good. I'm glad we cleared that up. And this is why we never get anything done around here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think one reason it gets so little attention is the fact that it's what we call in the business a post-classical saga, mm. which means that it was written sometime in the 14th century. Right, after the golden age of saga writing had ended or was ending. Yes. And more specifically, the post-classical sagas date to the period after mm -hmm. Iceland lost its independence to Norway in 1262. Now, these tend to be less highly regarded than the classical sagas. Now, for example, Vigeland Saga, which I'll be speaking about at the International Saga Conference in August, tends to be neglected by scholars in part because of its late date. Well, look at you getting in your little plug there. Uh, yeah. We, we, we shouldn't give the impression, though, that all post-classical sagas are cast out and ignored by scholars. Uh, Gretter's Saga is from that same period. And it's one of the more well-regarded sagas. True, although that has a lot to do with the acknowledgement that the author of that saga is doing something different with his outlaw character. Mm -hmm. um, there are innovations to the genre there that garner critical attention, and rightly so. Now, I would argue that the other post-classical sagas also, including Ref Saga for that matter, mm -hmm. also feature some kind of interesting innovations, like the happy ending of Vigeland Saga, for example. Or um, the fire suppression system of Ref Saga. There you go. And, and a lot of those innovations just haven't yet been fully appreciated because we've been focused on the golden age. Right. And you're on something of a quest to correct that injustice, aren't you? Uh, I don't know about that. I, I'm interested, though. Uh, but mm -hmm. I do. I think it's important to appreciate each text we encounter for what it is, not what we want it to be. Um, and that's where the whole classical versus post-classical bias comes in. Mm -hmm. I mean, heck, even the, the terminology we use to distinguish the one error from the other helps to reinforce that bias. Okay, so yes, but you were going to tell us about how Ref Saga fits into the family genre. 
Of course, yeah. Um, but it's not like a discussion of the saga's date and critical prejudice isn't part of that discussion. That's kind of why. I, <laughs> granted, but you're running the risk of derailing this conversation before we even get started. <laughs> That's true. We never even so really got it going. You can feel free to expand on all that when we're at the conference in Reykjavik. Uh, for now, how about a very quick answer to the actual question? No problem. Watch this. So <laughs> the reason I think that you and I feel uncomfortable identifying this as a family saga comes down to two things. Okay, so we mentioned in the summary episode that there's, I mean, a surprising lack of genealogical information in this saga, mm-hmm. uh, and almost no interest in the generations preceding or proceeding from Raph, right? Just kind of airy wave to many good men are descended from. Yeah, yeah. In other words, there's there's not much family to this family saga. Yes, that's exactly right. So if we're going to classify this as a family saga, then we have to look elsewhere for the connections. And I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that scholars turn to the structure of the text in their efforts to place it within a specific genre. Right. And that's exactly what I'd expect. 20th century medievalists love their formalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, let me guess. They're going to use Theodore Anderson's feud structure? Yes, they are. Ding, ding, ding. We have Mm -hmm. a winner, people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but Anderson proposed the six-part feud structure as a a way to help define the structure of the family saga. It's kind of a genre-defining moment in saga scholarship. Um, So it's a theory that's been tweaked and revised. Have we really not brought that up before? Huh? Have we really not brought that up before? Yeah, no, I don't think we brought that up ever. It surprised me too. Well, (laughs) let's let's, uh, rectify that. Yeah, so this theory has been tweaked and revised over the years, but it generally holds as the standard. So according to Anderson, family sagas begin with an introduction, move toward a conflict, then a climax, revenge, and reconciliation, and then they conclude with an aftermath section. Right. Now, we're not going to go into all the details of all, how all that works right now, I don't think, uh, but it's worth looking up if you're interested in the sagas. Sure. Um, there, and there's, there's some fun reading for everyone out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> go grab your Theodore M. Anderson. Um, now, if you look at the structure of Ref Saga, it does kind of fit. Mm-hmm. Frederick Amory uh, compares the intro of Ref Saga to that of Gretcher Saga. Yeah, that's interesting because I can see that. I mean, both are uh, lazy, right? both are coal biters, but both are mm-hmm. crafty. Uh, both are capable killers who kind of exist outside the norms of their culture. That's right. And Amory points out that that's kind of a, a one of the tastes of the, the 14th century sagas, mm-hmm. uh, that you see that kind of character quite mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and then we move to the uh, the conflict section, which begins in Greenland when the Thorgelsons start spreading rumors about Ref's sexuality. And then it moves toward that climax when Ref kills them to assert his masculinity. Correct. Then Gunnar and Bard's hunt for Ref along the shores of Greenland makes up the revenge section. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole Norway and Denmark section then takes us through, what, reconciliation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we wrap up with an aftermath, which typically lets us know something about the protagonist, uh, how he dies, and gives us a, a quick glimpse into future generations. Right. Now, and again, it's a very quick glimpse in Ref's case, but that's yeah. pretty much how Ref's saga ends. I'll buy it. All right, but not so fast. Amory also of points out, and <laughs> rightly, I think, that Ref's saga is an imitation of of a family saga, mm-hmm. therefore not actually a family saga. You know, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, when we only look at the structure, it fits nicely. But the reason that we keep asking these questions about it, and the reason that I think that we've been getting questions about it, is because the internal narrative, right, the actual story, its features don't feel like a family saga. So we're right. I knew it. <laughs> so weren't you just convinced a second ago that it was a family saga? Structurally, Andy, structurally. I'm keeping my oh. options open here. 
<laughs> Fair enough. All right. So Emery looks at the fantastic elements of the text and sees the influence of more folkloric Fornaldarsogar. Um, the, the real achievement of the Ref Saga author, he concludes, is a clever blending of the folkloric storytelling with the more measured historical tone and structure of the family sagas. So Ref Saga is, in his opinion anyway, a false family saga that, as he says, fosters an illusion of realistic sobriety and verisimilitude. And yet it also communes with the fantasies and fairy tales of the Fernaldesager, which include fantastic things like wheeled ships. You know what? I actually have a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, in really? That I, I think the the question of whether or not this text creates realistic sobriety and verisimilitude, the very fact that we were incredulous at almost everything that happened in it suggests <laughs> that that's not the case. Right? Yeah. That Ref comes across as almost more of a folkloric figure. No, I think that uh, now, part's true, but I think what he's referring to in terms of the realistic sobriety is the the mm-hmm. overall tone of the family sagas. The opening feels like a family saga. It's it's reported as kind yeah. of a history, but you never quite feel like it is a history, if that makes any sense. Right. But I, I think, you know, what we responded to and what the listeners responded to is that this text does feel very much like someone imitating a genre mm-hmm. rather than participating in it. Hmm. Right. Uh, and yet, think, at the same time, those fantastic elements like the wheeled ships, right, yeah. those things all feel very grounded to me. Uh, so I think that for me, the fantasy of this text or the fantastic nature of it comes from its incomplete ability to mimic a real saga. Hmm. Uh, not I'm, in the details of things like wheeled ships, but the ways in which, for example, we see 200 men kill 50 men and no one on the winning side is injured. The way right. that Ref is able to just sort of massacre anybody he puts his mind to, and there's never any real consequences for that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's a uh, it's interesting, but I think I think it's it's the saga is problematic for other reasons than what Amory is talking about. Hmm. It's interesting. Although I think you're kind of saying the same thing. If it would be interesting if he was still alive, if you could have a conversation <laughs> with him, because I think both of you are saying that there's a blending of genre here. You're just I kind agree. of emphasizing slightly different things. I agree absolutely. Good. Well, now that we've resolved that pressing issue, are you ready to dig into our judgments, John? I've been looking forward wait, to... Wait, 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 wait. Uh, before what? we do that, we have to address uh, some important questions from our listeners. Oh, really? Well, yeah. th- this is going to be another two-hour episode then, isn't it? No, that depends on how long-winded you get in your answers. Long-winded I get in my answers. Well, I hope you've got a good <laughs> sale, buddy. What's up? Okay, let's start with this. Uh, I thought we'd take a second and answer a question that we started debating uh, well, I mean, we started debating off the air, I think, uh, behind the scenes here at Saga mm-hmm. Thing, and that people on our Facebook page and email have taken up. Was there an actual debate on Facebook? Yeah. I don't recall seeing yeah. debating. It's a discussion for the ages, or at least uh, between the, for those between 35 and 100. Andy, I put it to you. Is Ref more like Rube Goldberg, MacGyver, or the A-Team? <laughs> this, <laughs> this is what you wanted to talk about? Just answer the question. Well, first of all, is Rube Goldberg a person? Yes. His name was oh. Ruben Goldberg. He was a New Yorker. Oh, well, all right. Well, <laughs> we, we just got done exploring saga genre studies, and now we're tackling this important question. I'm glad, glad right. to see we're on the same page as always, John. <laughs> hey, it's the beauty of saga thing. We can turn on a dime, go from highbrow to lowbrow, and back on up. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to mention that when trying to sell this podcast to academic colleagues. Um, all right. So... Well, he's not really a Rube Goldberg figure, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned Rube Goldberg a, a bit in the summary episode, but it doesn't really fit. 
I mean, the whole point of a Rube Goldberg device is that it does something really simple in a really complicated way. A wall that falls down on top of four men isn't exactly a complex series of chain reactions designed for a simple purpose. It's just a falling wall. And a boat launch. Which is still a flat surface, not unlike a uh, suddenly horizontal wall, <laughs> in my opinion. Okay, now, I don't agree, although I agree that it's a horizontal wall. <laughs> uh, the whole fire suppression system... With an internal arm assembly to move corks in and out of position to allow water to pump out of the walls strikes me as impressive, but not really efficient. Well, I mean, how else would you get this? Dump a bucket of water over the side of the wall. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you want to be primitive about it. Well, that's how I roll. Well, since you mentioned that, I want to remind me to come back to the sprinkler system. Okay. But I'm going to try to stay on task here. But we got to Mm -hmm. talk about that. Now, I think I said on Twitter or Facebook uh, this this decision, and I'm going to stick to my guns. Ref is is all a team. All right, no fair using musical cues. You're Uh, prejudicing the listener in your favor with appeals to Gen X nostalgia, and I won't have it. Come on now. He's got a ship <laughs> on wheels behind a weaponized wall in a steampunked fort. He's got the killer instinct and mechanical abilities of B.A. Baracus. I pity the fool. The piloting <laughs> skills of Murdoch on the ocean, of course. Uh-huh. And he's a master of disguise, just like Hannibal. A master of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody figured it out. He's brilliant. Uh-huh. And the only thing he's not is the charming ladies man that was Face Man. My personal favorite A-team member. That's your favorite A-team member? He was. I was a, you know, a silly little boy. Name the actor who played Face. I don't remember who played Face, but I do <laughs> remember Benedict. liking... Of course you'd know. <laughs> but I, I do remember liking Face the best because he was uh, he was funny and mm-hmm. charming. And he also uh, got so, the ladies, which is very similar to me. So in your... Ima- <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I got one lady. So in your imagination, does the ship have B.A. Baracus's black and red van paint job but i can't accept this otherwise yeah i mean the author doesn't mention a paint scheme but i, I always assumed that it was black and red mm-hmm. see i object to the a-team comparison on the grounds that a bunch of guys get crushed by that falling wall you can't have a body count in an a-team story wait are, are you claiming that a rube goldberg machine is like more likely to have a body count yes <laughs> Lucifer G. Butts was out of his mind. There's no telling what he had hidden in his basement. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny. Elsa and I, for that Scouts thing, we designed something that we called Murder Ball. Um, <laughs> and it was a it was a, a lengthy, you know, lengthy uh, marble rolling thing that eventually resulted in the death of a Playmobil guy. Nice. So there, there was a body count of one. And then the Scouts <laughs> took it over and made a body count of five and then more. So... And then asked whether it was better to let the marble kill five people or whether to divert the marble onto a second track that would only kill one, but <laughs> making you responsible problem. for the death of that blue pill. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, uh, you just said something about uh, some some guy's name. The, who? Lucifer who G. This? Butts. Who's Lucifer G. Butts? The professor in Rube Goldberg's cartoons. Lucifer Gorgonzola Butts. Are you serious? I, I couldn't make that up if I tried. All right. And now I think we've about exhausted the possibilities here. I say A-team, you have your Gorgonzola cheese butts, and uh, MacGyver's the odd man out, oddly. And we should, I mean, we should say that, you know, he does have some MacGyver-esque qualities. Like a bitchin' mullet or something? <laughs> no. I was thinking of his craftsmanship. Huh. How else could he survive for so long in the wilderness of Greenland? Fair point. Now, I assume that there was a paperclip, some chewing gum, and maybe a piece of paper involved well 
Yes. Now, we had another question from the Duck Knight. <laughs> of course we did. Only in the 21st century could someone say, <laughs> in all seriousness, we had a question from the Duck Knight. <laughs> what was it? Well, the Duck Knight asks, <laughs> does he? Are refs engineering abilities common among the tricksters in the sagas? And who are the more notable tricksters in the sagas? Hmm. You know, I was I was thinking about this the other day because of my medieval outlaws class. Mm-hmm. The trickster figure does come up there a lot, you know, outlaws and tricksters and all yep. that. Yeah, no, almost every outlaw in English literature has some element of the trickster in it. Yeah, and, and obviously if we're talking about the Viking Age, we can point mm-hmm. to Loki as the ultimate trickster in the of mythology. Um, and you'll find more tricksters in the Fornolder Saga, the mm-hmm. legendary sagas, but Icelandic tricksters in the family sagas, the more, I mean, I thought about it a lot. They're, they're just harder to come by. Yeah. I guess I mean, one of the things I, I resolved was Gisli uh, has something of the trickster in him, at least mm-hmm. for a couple scenes anyway. Right. I mean, there's that scene when he switches cloaks with Thor the Coward. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when he dresses as Helgi Ingjald's fool and uh, makes himself a clown in order to avoid capture. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, I think we could also, I mean, maybe we could consider uh, Ofig from Bandamana Saga. Bandamana Saga. Bandamana Saga. I mean, he certainly got the wit and wily character of a trickster. Now, you could also maybe think of Snorri Gothi as a trickster uh-huh. if you want, I uh-huh. guess, but... He's more of a schemer to me. He doesn't quite fit. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I honestly don't see any of these guys as traditional sort of mythological trickster types. But mm-hmm. I think you can make the argument for them if you had to. Yeah. And that's the thing, really. I, I mean, I guess there are trickster types in the sagas. And I'm not doing a very good job of thinking of them right now. But I also feel like the cunning trickster who breaks rules just to break them or to expose corrupt and hypocritical conventions, that, that kind of Reynard the Fox type do, mm-hmm. just doesn't really fit in the family sagas for me. Uh, if there are trickster figures, my feeling is that they'd be regarded as villains in the family sagas because they th- these sagas take themselves very seriously sometimes, mm-hmm. despite their love of dry wit and understatement. Um, so I'm not saying they're not funny sometimes, but they just I don't feel like the trickster fits. So, I, I mean, I could be completely wrong and I probably am. What do, what do you think? Well, I, mean, I think there's something to what you're saying. There is that conversation about, uh, for example, whether Njal fits as a trickster figure. I know people have made that comparison. But I think if you look at that saga, the figure who actually fits more as a trickster is Morth. Mm-hmm. Right? He's the one who's coming up with all these schemes. He's the one who's playing games and tricks on people behind the scenes. He's the one who sets up his own his own uh, allies for a fall in order to gain something. Uh, and you're right. He's, he's much more the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think there are people given to playing tricks. Right? As you were suggesting, schemers and sharp-tongued jokesters aren't that unusual. But the trickster figure is a very specific thing in uh, in mythology and in uh, archetypes. Uh, and I'd say the sagas are more sympathetic to outlaw types than to trickster types. Yeah. There's a, I think there's a fair amount of overlap between those two figures. I mean, somebody like Robin Hood encompasses both types. But I think the sagas are a little too aware of the cost of an outlaw or of a trickster to a community. Uh, and as you say, the mythology offers the quintessential trickster figure in Loki. Uh, I don't know if any of that helps, but that's where I'm standing. Mm. Well, I mean, our listeners are pretty smart and also well-read. So maybe well, thank God somebody of... around here is. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, if you, any of you know of a good trickster figure from the family saga specifically uh, that better fits the bill, please uh, write to us and let us know. All right. So that covers the trickster bit. Now, what about the fire suppression thing? We had several people asking where that came from and if it was original to Ref Saga. Hmm. You, you want to tackle this one, John? No, <laughs> uh, because 
to my immediate memory, this is the only fire suppression system in the sagas. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, what's that look on your face? You you have one in mind, don't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. For once, yes. Yes, I do <laughs> have something. <laughs> Finally. No, I was well. so blown blown away by the engineering of that building that I had to go searching out more information, you know? Uh, and that's how, actually how I found the Frederick Emery essay. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in his review of Ref Saga, he identifies a number of analogs or perhaps even sources for Ref's inventions. Uh, a ship on wheels, for example, can be found mm-hmm. in Thialar Jones Saga, an early 14th century Riddar Saga or Chivalric Saga. Mm-hmm. And we'll eventually get around to reading the saga with another very similar fire suppression system. Which one? Well, it's in that old classic. Everyone's favorite. The Saga of Horde and the People of Home. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, well, of course, I read that one every summer, so I should know that. But <laughs> Sure you do. <laughs> so that saga has a character named Thorbjörg who dreamed that 80 wolves were running toward her house with fire coming out of their mouths. That's not a pleasant dream. No, and among them was a polar bear who seemed sad. Aww, what? <laughs> a sad polar bear, you said. Yes, that's right. A sad okay. polar bear. Yeah. And anyway, the, the dream inspires her to prepare for a coming attack in the burning of her house. So she directs Indridi to divert a stream that came from a spring down into the house. Okay, this does sound familiar. No pipes, but it's a similar idea. Mm-hmm. Well, she does tell them to cover the stream over so that no one will see the source of water coming into the house. Yeah, that's much closer. All right, keep going. So here's where it gets interesting. She tells the men then to carry all the household goods up and onto the cross beams for safekeeping because the water came halfway up the walls. Wait, so she's not filling the walls with water that can be released at need. She just fills the house up like a giant water balloon? <laughs> That's that's correct. Yes, that's what uh-huh. she does. It's an odd choice. Yes, but it's, it's funny. I I read this saga, God, almost twenty years ago now, and I don't remember yeah. this at all. Well, you know, you you didn't have fire suppression systems on the mind. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. So when Horde comes to burn the place down, they can't get the walls to catch, and the people inside seem to have an endless supply of water that they, as we were talking about earlier, they throw down on the fire from above. See, that's. <laughs> It's far more reasonable uh, and in many ways more believable. Right? It's, it's yeah. ridiculous, but you can imagine a stream being redirected to fill the base of a house and then people using that water to douse the flames. All right. So uh, what happens next? Well, I mean, you, you have to wait until we do the Saga of Horde and the People of Home. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. This is oh, Ref Saga Judgments It's just getting now. interesting. Or it's supposed to be. <laughs> no, what we need to do is get into those judgments. I think that's why we got together to record tonight. Oh, quite right. Uh, okay, one more question. Are you serious? One more question. You know how long we've yes. been talking? Okay, but it's it's one I know you saw and prepared for. Ah, the, the wood thing. You want me to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you looked into it, and I think it's interesting. Why let that effort go to waste? Well, because there's really not much there, but <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, Arian at our nickels wonders how Ref could have gotten his hands on so much wood in Greenland. See, that, that's an excellent question. And we I don't think so. traditionally think of Viking Age Greenland as a, a land full of lush forests, eagerly awaiting the acts and ads of the likes of Ref the Sly. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, they're all just sort of slitting open walruses to stay warm, weren't they? That's right. <laughs> Building entire houses out of walrus parts? <laughs> no, no. I don't no. think they did that. Um, 
The the generally accepted story of the Viking settlements in Greenland mm-hmm. tells us that they struggled to maintain the traditional northern European lifestyle they were used to um, due to the lack of resources in the country. Right. So while settlers imported wood from Norway and harvested timber in Markland, uh, they also had access to native Greenlandic wood. Now, according to Thomas Hain, they would have found willow scrub, mountain birch, and mountain ash trees in the southwest specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's where um, uh, where we're supposed to think Ref went. Um, there right. were, however, no uh, coniferous trees there, mainly due to the difficulty of non-native species with heavy seeds making their way to Greenland. Um, mm. And while the settlers certainly used native wood to craft objects for everyday use, the wood that was available to them in Greenland was, in Haynes' opinion anyway, inadequate for the construction of large buildings or ships. Mm-hmm. So. But I think we do have to think about when this saga is written, or when this saga takes place, rather, uh, which is the late 10th, early 11th century, which would be exactly overlapping with when the industry, the very brief industry of bringing back lumber from the New World would have been taking place. In the 14th century, that's happening? <laughs> no, 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 no. When it's being, when the saga takes place, not when it's oh, written. Yeah. That's true, but Ref is, is hiding. Where is he getting all the wood? He can't exactly oh, no, go to absolutely. market and buy it. Absolutely. Wait, 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 wait. It sounds to me like you're suggesting that Ref isn't grounded in history. <laughs> yeah. Are you suggesting that this is all a lie? Yes, John. I am sorry to break it to you, but Ref's saga is a work of fiction. I can't take this. I, I don't think I can do the judgments now. Well, I mean... I need, I need, to, go, I need to go lie down. Well, to be fair, John, most of the listeners uh, have no doubt already tuned out. So yeah, I, feel confident uh, I don't think true. anyone would notice if we just called it quits. <laughs> Oh, but there's so much fun left to be had. We actually have to do the judgments. We have to figure out who wins best bloodshed. Yeah, and there are some really good ones in this saga. And I, I, I'm actually curious enough to keep going because I want to know and, how that's going to turn out. And who do we outlaw? Who do we select as Thingman? Who gets Ref as Thingman? No, you're assuming Ref is making it out of the outlawry section. I, I wouldn't be so sure. Well, there's only one way to find out. Call the saga thing. Well, Ref Saga isn't known for its blood-soaked battle scenes, but I think there are a few legitimate candidates, Mm -hmm. he said with a question mark at the end of that sentence. I think there Uh, are. I mean, look, there are a few, because after all, it's not every saga that had people being killed by complex machinery or invented concealed weapons. Which is a shame, really. It is, but it it just makes Ref special. It does. Uh, I've got two candidates and a third possible we'll have to talk about. How about you? Well, I've got two as well, and I'm pretty sure I already know which one's going to win. But uh, oh. you go ahead. Oh, hey. There are no sure things in the saga thing, Andy. Mm. Uh, my, my first nomination goes to Ref's first killing, which is his revenge killing of his mom's neighbor, Thorbjörn. Ah, yeah. This is the first concealed weapon killing. Yeah. Actually, it's his first killing, period. Uh, Ref visits Thorbjörn to demand compensation for the death of Barley the Short. On his way to Thorbjorn's farm, he snaps off half the shaft of his spear and hides it in his cloak. Hides the sharp end in his cloak, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, their conversation doesn't go well, which I have to say, you know, it's it's clear Ref didn't expect it to since he's now got a concealed weapon on him. Yeah. So when Thorbjorn tries to lure him in by offering a knife with one hand while drawing his sword with the other, Ref stabs him with his hidden sawed-off spear. Now, you're going to keep pushing the term sawed-off spear, aren't you? Am I going to have to adopt that? Get on that? board, Andy. Get on board the sawed-off spear train. I think this is a good uh, a good candidate. It's when we learn that Ref is a clever lad uh-huh. and that his enemies are going to pay for underestimating him. Sure, sure. Uh, so what have you got? 
Well, I want to shine a spotlight on Ref's slaying of Thorgils and his sons. Shine away. Yeah. It's a point in Ref's favor, I think, that he mm-hmm. let the slanderous rumors about his sexuality circulate without reprisal for as long as he did. And then once his wife's foster father approaches him and, and suggests that inaction might actually confirm the rumors, mm-hmm. uh, Ref is forced to make his move, remember. Uh, and right. so Ref heads over to Thorgil's farm with uh, a freshly forged spear. <laughs> he enters the house to find Thorgil's cooking, because, and because of all the smoke, Thorgil's couldn't see who, uh, who came in at first. And when Ref announces that he's come to seek compensation for the slanderous rumors, Thorgil's laughs it off, saying, I won't deny that we say many things as jokes, but in any case, this isn't lying, because I believe that every word of it is true. <laughs> and rather than offer up uh, a notable witticism in response... Mm-hmm. Ref just strikes at Thorgils with his spear and splits him open to the shoulders. <laughs> well, we've said before that uh, wordplay is not Ref's strong suit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, he's a man who thinks with his hands. <laughs> exactly. And then, and this is the part I really like. He takes the spear out and quietly walks down to the shore, sits down in the boathouse, and waits <laughs> for the Thorgilsons to come home. Right. He then decapitates one, skewers another, and dispatches the other two quite easily. Mm-hmm. Now... This may not be one of Ref's most elaborate killings, but it's impressive right. all the same. And as I was reading it, I, I kept thinking of all those revenge movies I grew up watching in the 80s. And, you know, <laughs> the, the force of this scene isn't the violence. It's, uh-huh. it's in Ref's vengeful silence. It's, it's powerful, right. predatory silence that brings the scene to life in, in ways that dialogue and, and witticism can't really do. Right. Plus the uh, determination. Yeah. And the Thorgelsons, I think, deserved what they got. I was very happy to see them get the uh, mm-hmm. sharp end of Ref's spear. Uh, now, now, well, my problem with this uh, is that any ruffian, any uh, thug could do what Ref does in that scene. True. It's satisfying, I grant you. But I want to bring us to the siege at Ref's Fortress of Solitude <laughs> for a killing that only Ref could have done. Yeah. Uh, this is during the second siege, after Harald Hardrada has given advice to Ref's enemies. Mm-hmm. When Bard and Gunnar successfully undermine Ref's underground pipeline and cut off the water supply to the flame-retardant walls of his fort. And I still can't believe I get to say that sentence. Uh, Ref's situation at that point looks dire. His enemies then set fire to the structure and Ref disappears behind the wall. But only seconds later, an entire wall of the fort comes crashing down flinging burning logs everywhere and crushing four men who were busy feeding the flames. (laughs) (laughs) And to add insult to injury, the wall that crushed them is now like uh, some kind of boat launch, a a drawbridge boat launch. Yeah, a ramp, yeah, uh, which Ref and his sons then use to drive an amphibious vehicle over the four men's crushed corpses and into the nearby river where they sail away probably waving cheerfully to the shocked enemies they're leaving behind. <laughs> the ones who aren't already dead under the wall, of course. Yeah. Now, this one, I think, has has a taste of everything this saga offers, Andy. Mm-hmm. Crazy contraptions, weird tricks, ref outsmarting his enemies, a unique set of four deaths by wall bridge. I'm a fan. Mm. You know, I think I've got one that competes very nicely, and it comes right after the falling wall. Oh, uh, I know what this is. Picture, if you will, the... Ship sliding down the runners. <laughs> Ref winking at Bard with a sly grin on his face as he passes by. The sheer panic in Bard's face as he realizes what's just happened. And then Ref executes one of his more impressive plans, in my opinion, this time uh-huh. on the water. As Bard gives chase with eight men, Ref realizes that he is in the slower ship. Mm-hmm. And with Bard bound to overtake him, Ref urges his sons to take down their own sail. 
Bard's coming at such a pace that he won't be able to slow down before shooting past Ref's boat. So Ref tells his son, Stain, to cut the stays of Bard's ship. Mm -hmm. And then they should pretend to row away, splashing as much as possible to make it look convincing while never actually moving the ship at all. Right. My favorite thing about that is that it's just his son Bjorn at this at the oars. And so it's just this one guy sort of flopping as many oars as he can up and down to make it look the whole ship is sailing away. Yeah. And and as you as you know, with a with a small spear in hand, a sawed off spear, if you will. <laughs> Ref watched as Bard's ship approached, riding the wind and the oars at top speed, and just as that ship flies by, Ref throws his spear and pins Bard to the freeboard. Mm -hmm. At that same moment, Stain cut through the stays. The sail went overboard with all its rigging, and the ship tipped to one side, nearly capsizing. And Ref raises his sail and quickly sails out of the fjord. Mm -hmm. A brilliant escape with a stunning bit of marksmanship. <laughs> Definitely worthy right. of consideration, and in my opinion, perhaps even the prize. What well, and as we discussed last time, right, nailing him to the freeboard with that spear means that when the ship then keels sideways... Bard is sort of caught between this probably fatal spear to the chest and going underwater as that side of the ship keels under. Assuming, of course, so, that it's that side of the ship that went over. We don't really know. Well, it almost has to be, right? Because the uh, stain is cutting the stays on the side of the ship near them. Mm -hmm. Presumably, Ref's spear has to nail him to the opposite side of the ship. So when the uh, rigging keels over, it's going to keel away from the cut stays. And True. drag the ship away from them. Okay. I, I, I'll accept it. I, the, my, if we can dump My Bard. many years at the mainsail. <laughs> Two years before the mast, Andy. <laughs> all right. So uh, what do you think? Do you have another one? or is that? I mean, these it? are all good choices. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the largest instance of bloodshed in the saga. Mm. Which is at the very end of the story. Yeah. Eric the Norwegian, brother of Sheathgrani, a man uh, who you'll remember Ref killed for assaulting his wife arrives in Denmark at the end of the saga with a team of 60 killers, and his job is the tracking down of Ref and taking revenge. He then hires Ref, who's wearing a silly fake beard, to show him where Ref's hiding. Ref then leads Eric's ship into an ambush, and 200 Danish warriors show Eric what they think of his uninvited arrival by massacring 50 of his men. Mm, now, this is something of an international incident, which might account for the enthusiasm of the killing. Yeah, Eric is at least unofficially on a mission from King Harald Hardrada of Norway. And so the men of King Sven of Denmark treat them like a group of foreign invaders. Yeah, but ultimately there's not really much going on there, is there? I mean, the actual you know. saga just says that they killed 50 men and sent the survivors home in a large rowboat. So not that big a deal. Right. No, I, I don't think this is really a candidate. I mean, it feels like an afterthought to the story. Yeah. And even though it's a mass killing, it feels a little storybookish. Yeah. I mean, for example, we're not told that any of Sven's men get so much as a hangnail during the battle. Yeah, there's right? not enough so detail the, there. The death count is 50 to zero. Uh, I don't think we have to count this one. But no. We do still have a Ref killing Thorbjorn with a sawed-off spear, Ref's killing of Thorgils and his sons, the four Norwegians crushed under Ref's drawbridge wall, and Bard dying of a thrown spear and a dunking in the North Sea. Mm. So what do you think? So I guess the question here comes down to, are you going for Flash or are you going for Style? <laughs> wow. Uh, excuse me, Flash or Style? Yeah, I think those are two is there, Is there things. a third option that isn't maybe identical to the other two? <laughs> <laughs> substance, perhaps? <laughs> no, not substance in this. I think of Flash, okay? Uh huh. The killing by the wall is particularly flashy. 
All right. It's noteworthy. It's interesting. Yeah. Right? Prize-worthy, perhaps? The killing of Bard Mm -hmm. has a certain panache, a certain style, (laughs) a certain je ne sais quoi. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (sighs) It all makes sense now. And the crickets. Crickets. Uh, um, No, I think, you know... I, I go back and forth on this one because mm-hmm. the, the wall is so fantastic, but it's really just a wall falling on some guys. Whereas the the style, I mean, the killing of, the of bars, is throwing is a spear. If you if you boil it down to the actual means of death, it's just yes. somebody throwing a spear at somebody else. I I know. The only reason that I would argue for the killing of Bard is that it has that kind of Scarpathen sliding across the ice charm to it. <laughs> you know. It's, yeah, as you say. Well, as you say, it's style. It is definitely a style. I'm going to say this. We've seen a number of men transfixed by spears. Yes, we have. We've never seen anyone killed by falling drawbridge. (laughs) And I don't think we're likely to see it again anytime soon. Not even really a drawbridge. (laughs) It is is literally the wall of his house. Yes. It turns into a drawbridge. Yes. Uh, So I, I... just can't imagine how we don't give it to this one because it's, no, it's one neither. of those unique opportunities. It's like being shot by a uniped in Eric's saga. Yeah, I think that uh, ultimately, how can you pass up guys getting crushed by the wall of a house in, in cartoonish <laughs> And then fashion? driven over by a ship. <laughs> and then driven over by a ship with a, a, a gleefully grinning ref. Right. Wow. At the wheel of his duck boat. So who do we give this to? Do we give it to uh, the, the wall itself or do we give it to Ref for designing the <laughs> I wall? We, well, I think we give it to Ref. All right. Walls don't kill people, Andy. People kill people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, Ref and the wall. Body, body count. count. So body count is where we count up the bodies. Right, John? Well done. Thank you. <laughs> There's those it's close a, reading skills coming into play. Yeah, it's not a terribly complicated category. Um, and <laughs> and fortunately, uh, as we open up our third quarter, mm-hmm. uh, the body count here was extremely easy. I mean, it, easy and impressive. John and I came up with the same exact number because this this author, <laughs> kudos to this author. Uh-huh. You know. When a body hits the floor, he counts it. Right. <laughs> And he never misses one, right? Never we never misses. get any of those vague, and then lots of people died. Yeah. yeah. So he if, likes to it, let us know exactly who's dead and how. Yeah. So uh, we can run through these very, very easily because uh, All right. the first one is Barthi, killed by Thorbjorn. Correct. Thorbjorn then killed, and all the rest are really ref, ref right. in action. <laughs> ref is a busy boy. Yeah. I've got a lot of ref kills. Ref kills uh-huh. Thorbjorn. Ref yes, kills Gellir, which uh-huh. prompts him to leave Iceland. Then Ref kills Thorgils and his four sons. Yep. So that's five. And then Ref kills four with the wall. And then he kills Bard, another Uh five. And then Narfi, a.k.a. Ref, (laughs) kills Grani. (laughs) And then, um, what is his name? Uh, Sigtrig. (laughs) Sigtrig and his cronies uh, kill 50 50 Norwegians. That's correct. Which leads to a total of uh, 64. It's a fair number of bodies, and particularly for a saga of this length. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that's, an the, that's really number. the thing. Because that's where the body count density measurement really comes in and plays mm-hmm. an important role. Because we get to measure the, the, the density of, of, of deaths in the sagas. Mm-hmm. So, John, for this quarter court, I would expect mm-hmm. this one to be a high watermark for oh, us. Oh, I would think so. In, in terms of the density, density yeah. 
the, the real question is, do you think it's got enough to unseat the current champion, which is the Greenlander saga? Greenlander saga, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it does, and here's why. Okay. This uh, has an even more impressive mass murder at the end of the saga. Right? Greenlander saga had 35 people massacred mm-hmm. at the end of the saga. This has 50. But this saga has had a slightly less... Uh, intense number of deaths going up to that point, and it's a slightly longer saga. Mm-hmm. If yes, I remember correctly, a- this saga was 1.22 Ravengels. That's quite right. Um, and Greenlander saga was something more like 1.7. Mm-hmm. Or 0.7, excuse me. Yeah, 0.7. So yeah, I think this is going to be second place. Slightly lower, and you're you're right. Oh, yeah, our body right? count, yeah. I really had high hopes, though. Once I saw that yeah. 50, I saw that number 50, yeah. I was like, oh, this might be the one. But no, our body count density measurement for Ref the Sly is 52.46. Very respectable. Yes. Um, And, you know, again, like I said, I think this is the high water mark, at least for this this quarter court. You never know, though. There's always going to be that saga lurking out there somewhere that has a throwaway reference to 200 men being killed. Yeah. uh, That we just can't, we just don't remember offhand. So it's going to catch us off guard. Head over to Ireland and Brian Baru goes buck wild, kills a a thousand men. Right. (laughs) And somebody somebody lines up all the bodies and counts them. Yeah. I mean, we're really relying on the authors to report the deaths. Right. And without that, you know, the body count really doesn't work. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. Nicknames. And on to my favorite category, nicknames, where John gets to flex his uh, research muscles. Uh, and, he's just like uh, getting a rest. <laughs> and I get to rest. Uh-huh. Um, so, John, tell us, uh, this, there's not a lot of people in this saga. So I'm yeah. curious, how many nicknames did you stumble across? Well, I mean, this is somewhat embarrassing. Here we are. It's the beginning of the third quarter of our Troll of the Sagas. We're all dressed up, ready for a good discussion of the nicknames of Ref Saga. And I've got nothing. Oh, no. Uh, but it's it, the saga is called Ref well, the Sly. I know. There's well, a nickname right there. I've got right almost there. nothing. Almost nothing. I mean, there's a handful of names that we'd throw back if this were another saga, but okay. here we need to take what we can get. So, for starters, we've got Barthy the Short, Ref's mom's livestock expert and protector. That's right. He's remarkably fleet-footed. He can run as fast as a horse. He's got keen vision and excellent memory. But remarkably short-lived. But, well, his name refers to the fact that he's not the tallest man around. So, oh, my- he's called The Short. Did I mention there's not a lot of stuff to talk about in this saga? <laughs> uh, we've also got Thorgils, the patriarch of Ref's obnoxious neighbors in Greenland. Thorgils has a nickname that only comes up once in the saga. He's called Vikarskat, uh, or Thorgils, the bald guy from Vic. Okay. Um, once again, there's not a lot of subtext to the name. Thorgils is just taller than his hairline. Well, uh, and But I sort of like this one. What's funny about this one is... You would think that maybe John had to look into that a little bit, but no. The saga explicitly <laughs> states and explains exactly what the name means. Right, right. That his name is, yeah, the bald guy from Vic. Yeah, and I, I, almost, uh, I almost kind of think that that's the result of this one being a later saga. You know, it's a 14th century. Maybe. I assume it's kind of, it feels late 14th century to mm-hmm. me. Um, I, I almost feel like they, they just aren't as interested in, or maybe they just want to spell I, things out a little well, bit more. Now let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. We do have a couple of good ones coming up. Okay, uh, but I have to say I actually like this one if only because it suggests the social utility of nicknames. Okay. Oh, uh, Thorgil's who? Oh, the bald guy from Vic. Why didn't you just say so? 
<laughs> and and so on in that yeah. conversation. So much clearer. Uh, right. Uh, now, there's also uh, sheath granny or scalp granny. Uh-huh. Uh, granny's a follower of Harold Hardrada. And as the author tells us, he's a handsome man who liked women and lovemaking and loved fine weapons and fine clothing. So, a fop, in other words. A fop, yes. Yes. His nickname doesn't seem on the face of it connected to this portrait of him. Although it's possible that as a man who likes showy weapons and clothing, he might have an ostentatiously ornamented sword scabbard that draws people's eye. Mm-hmm. But there's another possibility, which is that his name is a joke about his reputation as a lover of women. The association of swords with the male genitalia goes back a very long way. Right? And as long back as the Romans, a sword sheath was associated with women's genitalia. Right? Yeah. Romans called it the wagina. Uh, write that down with Latin pronunciation. I've heard and that. See what you I've get. heard of that. So I'm going to suggest this name might be a reference not to a fancy scabbard, but to Grani's preoccupation with finding somewhere to stick his sword. Ooh. And then we have the king of nicknames. Ref. Ref Steinson, a.k.a. Narfi, a.k.a. Sigtrig the Norwegian, a.k.a. Ref the Timorous, Ref the Effeminate, Ref the Homosexual, and of course, Ref the Sly. First of all, this translation might provide the record for the most nicknames and cognomena uh, attached to a single person in any of the sagas we've covered so far. Uh, But that's only true of the translation. Uh, George Clark chooses to provide a selection of different slanderous names for Ref in the conversation between Thorgils and his son Thengil, maybe to indicate the range of meanings latent in the single Norse word Ragi, which is the one that's used repeatedly and exclusively in those insults in the original passage. They're just in Ragi over and over again. For me, what's interesting, as usual, is the function of the nickname and how the insult gets refined. Thengil calls Ref in Ragi for the first time in reference to his claim that Ref peed himself when he ran into a polar bear. <laughs> now, in that line, the word connotates as something like cowardly, Ref the timid or Ref the coward. But when Thengil then asks his father, Father, haven't you heard of Ref in Ragi? The word is context-free, allowing it to revert back to its meaning as unmanly or emasculated. And Ragi does have connotations of effeminacy or emasculation. But when Thorgils responds, he spins the word in a slightly new way to more clearly reference sexual deviancy. Thorgils claims that in Iceland, Ref was infamous for his, quote, unspeakable perversions and for not be and for being not like other men in his nature. Now, we can debate whether this is a reference to same-sex attraction or not. I don't read it that way, but it depends on how literally you interpret Thorgil's claim that Ref was a woman every ninth day when he was in Iceland. (laughs) There's a lot of slippage in the sagas in the semantics of homosexuality, effeminacy, passivity, and other, really, any sort of non-heteronormative gender identity or masculinity. Right. Right. There's a lot of sort of maneuvering there. And Ref's enemies try to tie him to all of those. Ref's more willing than most saga figures, as you mentioned, to bide his time and plan out his revenge. Right? He doesn't act off the cuff, even when he's been insulted. But he is placed under some pressure by the association with unmasculine identity. And so when his father-in-law does approach him and say, you need to prove that this isn't true, uh, he recognizes that necessity. 
I should say that, that this narrative isn't all that interested in exploring the long-term effects of an emasculating nickname. Uh, and so the point is dropped after Thorgils and his sons are dropped uh, when they're all killed by Ref. His attempt to contain the slanders against him appears to be successful. And so no one ever brings it up again. Uh, so that's it. Uh, mm. Not a lot of nicknames to go on. No. But a few items of interest. How do we pick a winner here? Do we just give it to Ref on quantity? No, I think, uh, you know, um, Barley the Short brings a lot to the table. <laughs> oh, yeah. If he could reach it. <laughs> oh, no height shaming. Yeah, I mean, uh, what about uh, Harold Hardrada? Did, did they mention? Well, did they mention? You know, name? the funny thing is, he's never actually called Harold Hardrada in this saga. That is so weird. He's called Harold Sigurdsson throughout the entire saga. I actually don't think that's weird. I think it fits in very nicely with what we've already observed this author doing, which is to create a very different Harold Hardrada than well, we see in most other instances. This Harold is clever. He's refined. He's thoughtful. He's measured in his responses. Uh, this is not Harold the Hard Dealer. Right? This is King Harold Sigurdsson. Hmm. And his name, his nickname is kind of is kind of pushed to one side to make room for this new characterization. Well, but also this characterization suggests in some ways that the author had knows nothing of this guy. Or that, yes. <laughs> so, I'll accept either one of those. Okay. So, I mean, it seems like Ref is going to get another award, but really just because of a lack of other candidates. Boy, I mean, I'll just I'll just put in a brief word for Sheath Grani, because if I'm right about that nickname, it's a great nickname. Quite right, but I hate giving Grani anything. <laughs> Fair point. Um, ref it is. <laughs> All right. Ref, come on up for another one. You might be sweeping tonight. <laughs> Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. So what Ref Saga lacks in nicknames, it more than makes up in witticisms. Not really. No, not at all. No, no. Uh, I mean, it's not exactly PG Wodehouse, but it's definitely better than the nicknames. Grant <laughs> me that. to you. Uh, so this is our chance to honor the saga writer's art, to appreciate the little turns of phrase and bits of dialogue that make sagas so much fun to read. Yes. Andy, what have you got for us? You remember how I said that uh, Ref's silence made the killing of Thorgil so great earlier? Mm-hmm. Well, it, yep. it turns out that for all his mastery of woodworking and strategery, yeah. Ref's not terribly witty. And uh, nope. I did have a hard time picking candidates for this one, but I, I do have mm-hmm. two. Uh, the first one comes early in the saga, just after Ref's mother has had about enough of his lazing about. Barley the Short didn't last long, and mm-hmm. she needed someone to deal with the Thorbjorn problem. So remember how she scolded Ref. She said, I shudder in my heart whenever I see you before my eyes, you <laughs> disgrace of a son, and how luckless I was when I bore you, you cretin. It would have been better if my child had been a daughter. I might have married her to a man we could rely on. And Ref then looks up from his place by the <laughs> fire and says, no doubt groggily, The rest will make hard hearing, mother, if your scolding begins like that. <laughs> now that, John, that is... It's not bad. That is classic saga dry wit. I mean, I mean, wh- it is. What a great way to cut off what he knows will be a lengthy browbeating by his mother. And I hope <laughs> that I can remember that line next time I'm about to get a scolding. Next time you're going to get a scolding? Yeah, I'll just cut her off and throw that line out there. <laughs> wow. The rest will make hard hearing. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. I'm sure that'll get a good reaction. <laughs> uh, right. I wouldn't think so. Uh, 
So my first one uh, comes when Bard and Gunnar are exchanging snide comments with Ref over the uh, fire suppression walls of his fort. Yeah. Ref kind of walks along the top of the wall where they're trying to figure out how to crack his defenses. And he calls out, hello down there. What's the news? We'll tell you no news other than <laughs> that the legs you are standing on in there are doomed. That is hardly news. I mean, John, that's not exactly Oscar Wilde. No, I mean, it's really not. Uh, but it's the sort of understated wry humor that saga writers excel in. I always enjoy these deliberately casual chats between people who are trying to kill each mm. other. It's kind of like us in grad school. <laughs> I don't remember anything casual about it, uh, but all right. <laughs> so my second one actually comes right after my first. So I, I, okay. I'm going to offer that one up. Con su permiso, of course. We'll carry on. Ah, Thank you. <laughs> All right, so as you know, Ref then heads over to Thorbjorn's house with a sawed-off spear. Uh, being a sawed-off spear, it's easily concealed, and Thorbjorn has no mm-hmm. idea what's coming. He quickly figures out that Ref has... Sort of point out that you are you are now using the term sawed-off spear. Dang it. Yes, I am. I regard this as a victory for Team Sexton. And it doesn't make any sense, really. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, and this yet, one almost literally is a sawed-off say spear. Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> Thorbjorn figures out pretty quickly that Ref has come for a single purpose, but Thorbjorn has no faith in Ref's ability to carry out this murderous errand. So he picks up his own sword in one hand, and with the other he offers Ref a large single-edged knife and a whetstone, saying, Mm -hmm. and forgive my pronunciation of the Icelandic here, Dagon skaldegum bjoda. Now, I give you the Icelandic because I think the phrasing is important and part of why this Mm -hmm. is worth considering. We're given the following translation by George Clark. He says, One should offer an untempered blade to a softy. And once you look at it, that just misses the mark wildly, in my opinion. The Icelandic mm-hmm. is all about wordplay. Thorbjorn cleverly mm-hmm. applies the adjective dagger to both the blade and ref at the same time. Uh-huh. The word has a couple of different meanings, but Clark's choice of softy is, at the end there is pretty good. In English, we can often use the, the word soft to describe something that is distinctly not hard to the touch, and we can also use it to describe a person who lacks toughness, and this is usually a slight on a person's masculinity. Uh-huh. So quite fitting here. So the translation could easily be something like, one should offer a soft blade to a soft man. But Clark used untempered, which is fine since it helps highlight the blade, but why then switch to softy? How about... Well, I mean, that is technically correct. An untempered blade is a, would be a softer metal than a tempered blade. Yeah, I know. But but John, that still misses the 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 wordplay with the the dagger. I agree. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think your your statement that Clark wildly misses the mark is perhaps a bit He unfair. wildly misses the mark because he he misses the pun. Let me let me throw this this other possibility out there. All right. Let's play with untempered since you're 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 in so in love with that idea. <laughs> How about this? Instead of switching to softy at the end, I bet you can imagine you can imagine a really good way to do this. How about one should offer an untempered blade to an untempered man? Mm-hmm. See, that's not so difficult, yep. was it? Yep. So, I might go with untested man, un- given ref's reputation. But again, you're missing the you're, you're missing the 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 play but on untempered words. and untested still sounds like a play on it words. Sounds like it, but it's not exactly the same. So I'm going to stick with. Well, you know, I'm going to give you the the uh, my one of my favorite quotes, which is from the Venerable Bede. That shut up. <laughs> uh, and which says that you can translate word for word or sense for sense, but not both. For something is lost 
whenever words are translated from one language into another. Well, if the Venerable Bede said it, it must be true. But I think we can do better. Wow. No, I mean, that quote's all well and good. But John, what I'm arguing is that you can get sense for sense and word for word here. You, you either go soft and soft or mm-hmm. untempered and untempered. Either way, you say the sense and the word. Perfect. Fair enough. So say what you want about Thorbjorn, but I'm going to give him credit for a good line. And since these are his last words, the they're all the more <laughs> more poignant. Look, maybe, maybe not poignant. Uh, noteworthy. Right. But certainly not pointed. No. What do you think? Good stuff. Not bad. Uh, but of course, now we come to the enchilada. Now we come to the big fruit basket. Hold on. Let me get my pillow. Yeah. Uh, now we come to Ref's famous riddle. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, this comes late in the saga when Ref decides, after killing Sheath Grani in the middle of the street, mm-hmm. that it's probably not a good idea to try to hide the body and pretend it didn't happen. Uh, and so he decides, for the first time in his life, to announce a killing. He walks into a meeting that's being held by King Harold, and he proceeds to announce his killing of Grani, but he couches it in a riddle so obscure as to be virtually unintelligible. Andy, do you recall that riddle? Can you recite that from memory? Something about a soup meeting <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. Uh, he wanted to buy a swamp. Uh, right. And pig's so eyes. That's, that's, that's basically all of it, but I'll just, uh, I'll just go ahead anyway. Uh, so he's under the guise of Narfi, of course. Narfi. And he speaks up. My lord king, he says. The two of us, Swordhouse Granny and I, had a soup understanding today when he told my wife he wanted to buy a swamp. I lady-pigged him through the wall's eye. Then he searched it thoroughly, and then I searched it thoroughly. Then I nest-balled him, and he many-horsed at that. Then I cloak-stuffed him, my lord, and at that he tarred like a ship. And then I wild-swined him, my lord, to a wooden fence not far off. And at the end, I counterpained him. And then Narfi runs off. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that everyone already understands what he's talking about. But, you know, just in case, Andy, you're having trouble, I'll explain. So now, the way this ends up shaking out is that King Harold doesn't appear to have heard what Narfi has said. And we said... Uh, during the summary, it doesn't matter whether he officially hears it or not, because what matters is that it's been said, mm-hmm. uh, as long as people accept that this riddle is actually an announcement. And that they can prove that somebody uh, heard him say it. You right. Know, that's, that's important. But then afterward, when he finishes the speech, Harold, who didn't appear to have heard Narfi, now turns to his friends and says, um, who was this man? Unknown to us, who stood before us for a time, dressed in his black hooded cloak, belted with a great walrus hide rope, with a spear in his hand. Where did he come from? Nah, his attention to detail is, is really unparalleled. Well, and of course, that's the point here, isn't it? That he's a remarkably observant person. Yeah. Because even while he was speaking to the crowd, he heard every word of what Narfi said and has been turning it over in his mind during the rest of the conversation. And now. He breaks out and says, Well, this man said we two, Swordhouse Granny and I, had a soup understanding today. He told my wife he wanted to buy a swamp. Well, he encountered my follower, Sheath Granny, because a sheath 
is the house of a sword. Quite right. Yes, he probably went around the inns looking for women. Apparently he knows, she's grown. Mm -hmm. It may be that he encountered this Narfi's wife. There's a drink in Iceland called Misa. But Misa, or soup, is much the same. So they had a Musa understanding. <laughs> yeah, this is the part where this just goes so sour for me. The puns are terrible. Yeah. The wordplay is just violently bad. Me so tired of this punny riddle, me so- <laughs> if I may. He said that Sheath Grani told Narfi's wife he wanted to buy a swamp. But a swamp is a moor. And an amour is intercourse, <laughs> which Granny wanted with her. <laughs> so ridiculous. Then, Narfi said that he lady-pigged him through the wall's eye. And that's an apt expression, since a lady-pig is a sow. And you know <laughs> that a window in a house can be called an eye in its wall. So Narfi saw him through the window of the room the couple shared. Yep. This is really happening, <laughs> So people. far, it all, che- yeah, it all checks out. <laughs> then I searched all round, King, he said, and he searched all round. But when you search something thoroughly, you ransack it. So both of them ran. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Narfi must have run along the outside wall of the hut when he saw what was going on between Grani and his wife. Grani probably heard that and broke off the work he had in hand. <laughs> well, that's a funny way of putting it. <laughs> which, which is seriously unfortunate if it involves his sheath. Uh, <laughs> he tried to save himself by running, you see. Then I nestballed him, Narfi said. He must have egged Granny on to take a stand, because an egg is a nest ball. <laughs> I kind of like that one. <laughs> there you go. And he many-horsed at that. But if many horses are always together, they are called a stud of horses. So Granny stood. <laughs> Not so big a fan of that one. <laughs> then Narfi said he cloak-stuffed him, and Granny tarred like a ship. Well, the stuff for making cloaks is wool. So Narfi wooled or walloped him. Bit of a stretch there, Harold. Seriously a stretch. Uh, He ran him through with his spear, you see. How does he get spear from that? Well, he he wooled him. So must have... Right, of course, he wooled him. And at that, he tarred like a ship. But you see, tar is pitch. So Granny pitched like a ship in a storm in his death throes. <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, wait. Then I wild-swined him to a wooden fence, said he. Not far off. A wild swine is called a boar. <laughs> Thus Narfi bore Granny's body oh to a wooden fence. Then he said he counterpained him afterward. Well, a counterpane is a quilt or a bed cover. Thus Narfi covered Granny's body at the end. Hmm. First time that uh, Ref's ever covered a body and done legally what he's supposed to do. That is a good point. I mean, this is the first time that we cannot accuse Ref slash Narfi of murder. Yeah. Uh, but what we have to accuse Harold of is 
murdering the concept of punning. <laughs> or or do we blame Ref? Because uh, I suppose we should blame Ref's the Ref one who for did that. it. Although Harold just Ref is being deliberately stuff. obscure. What I object to in Harold is the way he unrolls all this as if it's the most obvious thing in the world. <laughs> yes. Like he's explaining a Bazooka Joe comic. Well, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. He clearly is. This author has an extremely favorable view of Harold. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Um, I have to assume that there are some liberties taken in the translation yes. there. Did you? Uh, oh, there are a few. Did yes. you happen to look at it? And does it kind of? Play I did. Out? I looked it over. Uh, it's not any less ridiculous than the original. Really? Uh, a few of these are obviously stretches to make the the puns work in English. But he actually, again, hats off to George Clark here. This must have been an absolute labor of Hercules to <laughs> right. get this thing to make sense. In the translation. I can just imagine, you know, saying, I'll do ref the sly, and then you're, you're, you're right. rolling along, and then you hit this spot. <laughs> and then you hit chapter 17, and you go, oh, shh, Nikes, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, no, I think, you know, when we get to, and Narfi wooled or walloped him, we're definitely... You could feel it. We are stretching to the breaking yeah, point. Yeah, Um Now, Andy, we were told by various scholars that this set of riddles is so famous that even today you will hear it hear it quoted in daily conversation in Iceland. Is that true? I don't know that it's true. I have visited Iceland on more than one occasion. I can't say that I've ever heard anyone quote ref the sly at me. Not exactly the thing that just kind of pops up in conversation uh, though. That's well see that's that's my thinking, right? But that seemed to have been what the scholars are claiming. Huh. So if we accept that this is a famous quote, and certainly the most famous riddle in this saga, um, do we say that it has to win for notable witticism? Mm. Since it's clearly regarded as notable. It's notable. It's fairly witty, given that he comes up with it on the on the spot. <laughs> I don't love it. Oh, I don't know. that The lady pigged him through the wall's <laughs> eye. That feels like something he was working on on the way there. <laughs> that doesn't... <laughs> I don't know if that feels as off the cuff as you're giving it. Yeah, maybe. He's, he's sitting there with his little book. He's sitting there with the thesaurus, <laughs> just like, hmm, saw, sow. Yes. Yes, his, his book his book full of pig jokes, because yeah. he managed to get the wild swine joke in later right, on yeah. as well. I don't know. Yeah, I like I said, I don't really love this one as much as I would, you know, I should. Yeah. I think I should love this one, because <laughs> it's clever. It's really clever. Mm-hmm. Um. I, God, I, I suppose we have to, right? I think we do. I think much as I would love to buck the trend here, um, this is so ludicrous yeah. in its design and in its execution and its explanation Although, that I don't see how we don't. I'll it. say one one argument against it would be that when we get to the third quarter court, we're going to have to go over all of that again. <laughs> I think we just remind people of it. Maybe we just do the lady pig. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll do uh, that. We just let it go at that. All right, I, I I'll I'll give it to it because it's it's just so unusual, so remarkable. It's the kind of thing <laughs> you 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 share with your grandkids one day. Right. We we lady pig what you did there, Raf, and we appreciate it. <laughs> Outlawry. Outlawry. Finally, our opportunity to get rid of one of these people. Uh, this is the part of judgment section where we. Outlaw one of our people. For, well, normally we outlaw somebody from Iceland forever, mm-hmm. but of course in this saga, that's kind of a foregone conclusion because most of the saga is already outside Iceland. Yeah, so we have it to accept us with, with some problems as well. 
Right. We in the past we have said that the Greenland communities, which are almost all expat Icelanders, uh, does count for our purposes. Right. Uh, and that's a good thing because otherwise we'd be in real trouble in this side. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are not many people to really choose from either way. No, there's you know? not. Um, uh, we've got a few. I got to run down a list real quick. All right. Go for it. Well, Thorbjorn emerges as a, an obvious choice. Thorbjorn, right. who's the this is the neighbor of uh, Ref's family back in Iceland. Yeah. He's guilty of unlawful grazing, something that is mm-hmm. uh, a big no no. And also mm-hmm. a little bit of manslaughter when he killed uh, Barthi the right. Short. Um, and that involves uh, a trespass as well if he's bringing his, his animals onto his neighbor's land. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, And let's not forget that he's actually already been exiled several times for previous killings. That's right. In other parts of Iceland. Yes. This yeah. is the last part of Iceland he's allowed to live in. I was going to say, yeah, this is the last place he's, he's allowed to go. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, the, I think we could also consider Thorgils and his sons uh, for sure. the slander that they they yep. uh, throw at poor Ref. Yeah. Um, uh, we've seen elsewhere in I'll other just, sagas just how egregious mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing is, how, how Absolutely. terrible. Well, and specifically the accusation of uh, gender switching. Yeah. Uh, that's on the list of things that can uh, be redeemed with a killing of the person who said it. Yeah. So it's uh, it's on the list with talking about being a troll wife and things like that. Yeah. Well, we saw there's all this a list stuff of in, in Yall Saga where the accusations yep. of being beardless uh, basically right. are, are questioning right. Yall's manhood. That is what right. sparks the whole, ooh, sparks, um, the, the, the whole feud um, that leads to the, the, the burning mm-hmm. of a house. Right. I think, you know, it's the it's that quote that we've gone to before that it's hard to find a man in the sagas whose masculinity is not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. A, a, a naming like this or a slander like this uh, can really have lasting and damaging effects on a man's reputation and because of that on his masculinity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, now, we should also point out, and this is convenient for us, Thorgils and his sons are, in fact, expat Icelanders. Ah. Uh, because we're told that that entire community is. That's right. Well, I mean, most so, people in Greenland are, so that makes, right, makes some good right. sense. But it is made explicit in the text, which is handy for us. Yeah. Um. We, I would love to consider Grani the uh, sheath Grani for right. his uh, attempted sexual assault on Helga. Yeah, yeah. No, this would be a very easy decision if only Grani were an Icelander. Yeah, the problem is he's a Norwegian, and so anyone yeah. who's hoping that we'll outlaw him, it's just it doesn't fit within our right. rules. Right. He's already, as far as we're concerned, he's already been exiled. Yes, he's already living in in the, among the damned in Norway. Yeah, yeah. So. That leaves only one other candidate as far as I'm concerned. Uh Uh-huh. I think I know which candidate you have in mind, and I'm willing to listen, but I'm not willing to take you seriously. Oh, come on now. Let's (laughs) let's talk about Ref the Sly if we... I understand. We have to talk about him. Let's just take a few minutes here. Ref Uh the Sly is guilty of not one, but multiple Uh murders. Not, Not slayings, but murders. Yep. He murders Thorbjorn. Does he... Um, does he does he cover the body and report his killing to anyone else? The answer is no. He runs um, out and he he reports the killing to his mother. Well, she is a neighbor. She is a neighbor. The law, the way the law is written, yeah, you must report it at the first house that you come to where you do not think you will be harmed for reporting it. That's fair. You know what? He does not come to any other house and, before. <laughs> it's the next door neighbor, yeah. but he doesn't cover the body and he hides on his well, way out. It's is it the you know Thorbjorn's in his own house so yeah I'm not I'm not I'm not too happy about Geller <laughs> what does he do with Geller's body 
Oh, yeah, no, that's a murder. <laughs> that's a murder. Uh, Thorgil's body? Um, yeah. Yep. Thorgil's in his own helm. Thorgil's in his sons. The sons. Uh, uh, the sons, we're never told what he does with the bodies, but um, we are not led to believe that he goes back and tidies up afterwards. So probably murders. No, I mean, that's that's in the actual Gragas, that you, you have to cover the body to to protect yep. it from being eaten by other animals. Not that a yeah, blanket's exactly. really going to do all that good, but... <laughs> well, right, you're supposed to uh, either cover the body with stones yeah. or make sure that it is protected from animals. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think there are texts where the idea of just covering the body with any available material is considered sufficient. Yeah. And then the reporting. And he doesn't do that for almost anyone right. he kills. It's only Grani that he, he he actually follows the rules. Mm-hmm. And then he's not even well, in And Iceland. even then, remember, even then, his first impulse is to hide the body. You're right, yeah. Right. And that's after a very public killing where he's chased the guy down the road. Right. And then killed him out in public. He drags him to a fence and only then thinks, eh, maybe I'm not going to get away with this. Yeah, and his, his uh, effort and to report it, it is a, a very, very complicated riddle <laughs> that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. A, a groaningly stretched pun. <laughs> right. Uh, so you tell me, so, John, why we shouldn't outlaw Ref. Because of all the people okay. that we've listed, in terms uh-huh. of transgressions against the law, at least, uh, he's the most guilty. I would say that in the past we have not been so keen on the niceties of law when it comes to revenge killings i think it's always pretty we've, fair we've allowed a great clear. deal of leeway we if i remember correctly we may i think we gave best bloodshed um or maybe we didn't give best bloodshed but we gave a witticism award to the sons of vest Vestinson for lopping the head off uh thorkel Sursen. At the mid, in the middle of a uh, gathering and then running away <laughs> and yelling out things as they ran. Yeah, I remember we that. We applauded them for that killing. Yeah, it's got, it's got a certain There was no covering of up of bodies. It. There was no uh, protection there. Uh, they didn't report it in any household. But I would bet it's, you that there were some, I, and I don't remember at this, at this particular juncture, but I would bet you that there's far more evil characters available in that saga. So we sure. don't have to. One of the, uh, one of the well, problems my point is we didn't censure them. The lack of people. We, we did not censure them. We did not regard it as oh, we're into a, censuring a behavior. Worth, what's that? We're into censuring now. We don't. We don't. Well, I'm saying we, we didn't. We scold. Right. Uh, we did not scold. Uh, we've seen a number of, I think, questionable killings over the over the course of reading these sagas. Oh, no doubt. Well, so but that hasn't resulted in us uh, exiling every one of these people or even censuring them. We've applauded them in some cases. Uh, yeah, but in, in each of those cases, there was always a, a more obvious candidate who had done worse right. things, far worse things. Right. Um, in, in the problem you with Ref Saga is there's just not enough people. I think um, while I would love to remove Thorgils uh, or his sons, um, I think really Thorbjorn is our best alternative to Ref. We know that he's guilty of multiple murders, mm-hmm. right, like Ref. Not in um, the he's actually itself, been found though. guilty uh, and exiled from several regions of Iceland. Uh, we see him commit a murder for no reason. Uh, Barthi merely asks him to take care of his animals. but And I would argue that he kills Barthi, not because Barthi makes that request, but because he regards Barthi as a social inferior. Well, that's part of it. But Stein comes and makes the same request, and Thorbjorn all but cries... 
at the emotion of being treated with respect by a man he regards as socially important. Mm -hmm. When Barthi comes and makes the same request of him, he kills him. Uh Uh-huh. He's a bad man. I think what there's two things at play here. (laughs) Uh, First, Ref the Sly, we can excuse most of the things that he does because we like him as the protagonist and we understand the motivations behind what he does. Yes. So I'm willing to forgive some of what he does as this is the <laughs> the proper vengeance that is deserved. Right. This, this is some this is justice being restored to the world, you know that kind of thing. More far more seriously, however, is you and I are about to flip a coin. <laughs> and this saga has so few people in it that both of us yeah. would prefer to have Raf the Sly as our thingman. Now we should be clear, we have not yet flipped the coin. Usually we do that before the episode before we begin recording. Tonight, because we weren't really sure what was going to happen in Outlawry, we didn't flip the coins that neither one of us would be arguing for or against outlawing Ref uh, for our own interests. I kind of feel like... Now, Andy, we should... Going into the coin flip, are you really looking at exiling Ref for his his various murders? (laughs) Brilliant, clever Ref. The engineer Ref. The engineer could really uh, improve my castle. <laughs> the uh, I so I mean I've got two options. One is to say we have to outlaw ref so that I keep him from your thingman group, right? In the in the chance that you win the the coin toss, mm-hmm. or I say hey fifty fifty I'm going to win the coin toss. Might as well. Right. I mean that's a good gamble. Uh, that's I regard that as some fairly scurrilous behavior on your part. As if you we were should be exiling, it. We should be outlawing him on the merits Listen, of his case. I hear Snorri go the whispering in your ear. Flip the coin. Flip the coin. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to go I'll say with this. The- you're the one swinging at ref. Mm. If you're willing to exile him and flip this coin, knowing that we would then be choosing from the dregs remaining in this saga. Well, then we both lose. That's kind of the, the beauty of it. How is that the beauty of it? Because then I don't I don't lose by myself. <laughs> you oh wow. That is a Does that reveal something of my psychology? Who hurt you, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think let's let's move on to Thingman. We're outlawing Thorbjorn because we both want Ref. I think we have to. Yeah. For one thing, he's an Icelander. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's really hard to exile anybody else in this saga from Iceland because everybody else has already left Iceland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, the, the the right choice is ref, but the right choice for Thingman is also ref. So let's move on to Thingman. No, I, d- I don't actually agree. I think that we've made a good choice here. I think mm. Thorbjorn is a solid candidate for Look outlawing. at you politicking. It's the saddest. No, 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 no. I expect so much more of you, but all right. <laughs> we haven't flipped the coin. All right. Goodbye, Thorbjorn. And, oh, can we send his wife with him? <laughs> Ronvig, yes. Yeah. Adios, amigos. Thing man. And now the moment that we were literally just arguing about. <laughs> <laughs> Having rescued Ref from outlawry. It now comes down to who will win this saga by taking <laughs> Ref as his thingman. Oh, I'm not sure I'm taking Ref if I go first. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Also, have I mentioned that monkeys occasionally fly out of my butt? <laughs> sure, John. All right. Well... <laughs> Uh, John uh, has no coin, so I have the uh, sacred quarter. 
The sacred quarter that came from your sacred pocket. I will be flipping it, but because I'm flipping, John will get to choose. Um, it is currently in my hand with the uh, tails mm-hmm. up. I don't know if that affects your decision. Um, I don't. I just assume it means that you're mooning me. No. It's literally the side of a coin. What do you want? Right. Heads or tails? In honor in honor of Thangil um, and his uh, beheading, I'm going to call heads. Heads for you. All right. Well, here goes the coin toss. It, oh, man. Ah, look at that. Look at Ladies that. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy with that result. It, it's heads. <laughs> now, um, how many minutes should I spend thinking about my choice? Well, you did say that uh, you would consider other people. So <laughs> I did say you that. You should very seriously uh, consider I've, other people. I've, I mean, Ref is a murderer. I've considered them. Uh, I have considered them. Um, and now I'm taking Ref. <laughs> uh, look, the fact is, Ref commits killings. Of course he does. Uh, who among our thingmen has not committed the occasional murder? Nah. Uh, the occasional killing. I can't help but remember that when we read Gisli's saga, you took Gisli, a man who snuck into his own brother-in-law's home and murdered him in his bed. I think that was well justified, John. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that it happened. I think all of Ref's killings are also justified. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to say that Ref, the the clever man, Ref, the tinkerer, Ref, the carpenter, Ref, the genius... Ref the Thingman, hmm. come forward and join my crew. Build us a ship that we can ride around on, <laughs> sail out to sea on, and watch the sun go down together as Thingman and friends. Ref, welcome to the club. I don't think that was a legit coin, though. <laughs> it was your coin <laughs> yeah but it wasn't sanctioned and I seem to have heard sacred thrown about well there are questions about the ceremony that went into fair enough you know fair enough ah uh, well so I'm in the uh, the awkward position of having to choose someone else who's not ref from this saga well yeah but I think you're in the more interesting position really I mean it would have been farcical if I hadn't chosen ref right well, I, I know but I I I was counting on winning the coin toss, and I didn't do much to prepare an alternate choice. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you understand how coin tosses work. You can't count on the outcome of a coin toss. I, I also but don't think I, this is the first time you've made an error of this magnitude. Don't you learn from your past mistakes? Well, I mean, John, I think you know I'm generally a pessimist, but I, I seem to choose the worst <laughs> possible moments for optimism. And now I guess I'm going to pay for it. Uh, which, by the way, is itself a pessimistic statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Ooh, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, I bet you are. <laughs> well, the way I see it, I mean, you do have – it's not as if you're without options, right? You, I, th- I think you've got two legitimate choices. I mean, I can I can think of three. I just uh, – Three? Yeah, I mean – Is the, one of the is one of them killing me and taking breath? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good idea. No, I mean, the, the first one I'm going to mention and then discard right away. Why mention him then? Well, for the sake of being thorough, I guess, you know, that's what we do here. We're, we're an hour and a half into this thing. You don't think we've been thorough enough? <laughs> I mean, personally, I think you're in this mess because you weren't thorough, but go ahead. Waste our time. Mm. All right. Well, at the very end of the saga, we hear about Ref's sons, and uh, we already knew about Stain and Bjorn. 
who uh, helped Ref in his daring escape from Bard, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and that there we find out that the two men served King Svein of Denmark for a long time, and Stane's family line eventually leads to a bishop. So, very impressive, right? Okay, I mean, I guess Stane's an okay candidate, but you can't seriously consider taking him, can you? I mean, I don't think he ever has a line of dialogue in the saga. No, I said I'm discarding him right away, but he. Okay. it's worth saying he might have learned some handy tricks from his father, but I don't think he brings enough to the table to warrant serious consideration. Come on. It's I don't think fun. he shows up at the table. I think no. the table is set and he's off eating at the kitty table in the other room. Well, so now, some of us have chosen characters like that in the past. <coughs> okay. Um, killer, killer Stewart. Um, no, I'm then I assume of a, a certain baby. Your, excuse me. I'm, I'm assuming that your real candidate. How you can't expect a baby to talk. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> or service Thingman. Try to make some allowances. He's a, he's but he's but a, a sprite. He's but a toddler. All right. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I'm going to assume in all seriousness, that your candidates are the same as my alternates, because I prepared, you see. I already knew who I would take if I'd lost. Hmm. Looks like I'm the grasshopper and you're the ant. (laughs) But I have a function too, John. Take the pebble from my hand, grasshopper. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, the reason I do it this way is if I think like a loser, then then I am a loser. (laughs) You know? And look at you now in all your splendor. (laughs) It didn't work out. Okay, so uh, the two more legitimate candidates are Helga and Guest, I think. Yes, those are the two I would consider. Yeah, and I'm seriously considering Guest. And for those of you who don't remember, which I think is most people, Guest is the noble <laughs> uncle of Ref who guides the wayward youth on his way to stardom or or maybe infamy. I don't know. But he's a wise man, a good leader, and uh, he's a strong influence on the troubled young Ref. I kind of like this guy. Yeah. No, I think he's got... He's got a pretty reliable adage, which is, uh, give a man a boat, he sails for a day. Teach a man to build a boat, and he sails for a lifetime. <laughs> Although, now that I think about it, he doesn't really teach him anything. He just kind of He's gives just... him a toy a toy boat and an ads and lets him go to work. No, he didn't even give him the toy boat. He, 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 he had happened to see the toy boat, but he just gave him a shed. said, build. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good leadership. Um, right. so, now, the problem here is that I'm not really sure what guest brings to the table beyond all of that. You are very concerned about this table. Uh, <laughs> yes. But I... Okay, it's interesting. Go on. Oh, really? What? Sounds like Nothing. you had something just, to say there. Just... No, no, no. Just go on and tell us about, uh, what, Helga. Well, I mean, Helga impressed me from the start. You know, when uh-huh. we first meet her, we're told that she's attractive and intelligent. In fact, uh-huh. she's the most desirable match in the whole district, so... That's... Yeah, we've never heard that before. Ah, uh, but this time it's got to be true, I think. And... <laughs> <laughs> Most people will remember Helga uh, from that scene where she fought off Sheath Granny. And yeah. for me, Helga's got a touch of Aud, Gisli's wife, in her. She's strong and fiercely independent. Maybe a touch. And she's capable in a fight against the king's man. I mean, she handles herself extremely well in the face of an attack from one of King Harold's best men. Plus, True. she's able to manage that household in Greenland really, really well. So this woman's no slouch, John, and I, I think I'd be lucky to have her on my side. Yes, and, and remember in her one and only speaking role, she tells her husband to mind his own business because she's already taken care of the problem. Mm, exactly. Which is why I think I'm going to take her as my thingman. Very interesting. Now, before we conclude, Andy, uh, huh? let me just say that <laughs> I, don't I, like wonder, I wonder if a bit more preparation on your part would have led you to a perhaps a different choice. Hold on. Why? Why do you have that face and what did I miss? Uh, I'm going to invite you to open your book up to the very first page of Ref Saga 
And read the read that one line to me if you would. You'll oh. know the line when you see it. Oh no. What is it? Don't tell me that I ha- I could have picked Jesus here. Was he in here? <laughs> no, you wouldn't want him anyway. <laughs> Why? I have it on good authority that Jesus didn't have the uh, cojones to show up when Thor challenged him to a duel. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. uh, I've heard that uh, Thor would be a little more than dust if uh, Jesus didn't want him to live. <laughs> well, then. Uh, fortunately, the first line isn't about Jesus. Uh, go ahead and read it, won't you? All right. Uh, so it says, in the days of King Hauken, the foster son mm-hmm. of King Athelstan, a man named Stain was living in Bredefjord at the farm of Kvenebreka. Thorgerd, his wife, was Odleif's daughter and guest of Bardastron's sister. So, Thorgerd. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were a careful reader, Andy, you'd have spotted uh. a little detail there about guest. Yeah. Yeah, I do see that now. Why didn't they uh-huh. put that? Why didn't they put that later <laughs> when they introduced him as a character? This uh, inf- mm-hmm. this is guest Oldleifson, the yes. the guest yes. Oldleifson. Yes, yes, you know the the highly respected Gothi of Barthestrand. <laughs> of course, you know, Andy. You're... I did I did read that line. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> when I, we discussed the saga, I read it several times myself. I no, just, I mean uh... I read it to you when we were discussing the saga. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? The the point of emphasis here is on Thorgerd, his wife, and the, the, look how they separate it all out. <laughs> Ah, so this is this is guest Oldison, the one with foresight who interprets uh, Gudrun's dreams in Lakstala Saga, the no. one who is the the oh so obvious pick <laughs> after Ref in the saga. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, but uh, since you already chose Helga, uh, mm, yeah, mm, mm. you can uh, you can add that wait, to your wait, list wait. of errors tonight. Um, I don't think I said that I was definitely taking Helga. I only said uh, I was thinking about it. So technically, I haven't submitted my ballot. I think we can. Uh, is this going to be a hanging Chad situation? <laughs> I am know from Florida. You chose Helga. <laughs> uh, maybe I was. Maybe I was going to choose her. But what if? Just what if, John? I asked you nicely to let me slink on out of here with guest on my arm instead of Helga. <laughs> huh? Hey, buddy. How would that be? What do you think? Uh, I think that would be a horrible injustice. <laughs> oh, no, really. Come on now. I'm uh-huh. a. I'm a good friend. We're, we're buddies. We go way back, don't we? Um, Throw me a ball. I think that I think that you got to dance with them. What brung you? Uh, <laughs> and in this case, uh, you brung Helga. Wait, wait, so wait, get dancing. Let me let me just you know, because we're still talking about the, the the gray area of my my selection, the phrasing uh-huh. of my selection. I think in Icelandic yes. law, phrasing is very important. Um, oh dear. But what if I were to sweeten the deal a little bit and say, Hey, John, what if what if I let you go first in Kelnissing a saga? When we when we pick next time, what? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me see if I understand this. You are so desperate to correct your error mm. that you're going to offer me. You're going to give up first choice in the next saga, a saga which I think we can say, um, you know, without without embarrassing ourselves. It's been a while since we've read this one. Let, let me throw this out there. <laughs> you I know, what might be lurking in there? I haven't read it and. It, it fits with my lack of preparedness uh, that I have no idea who I'm giving up. <laughs> so once again, the man who was counting on the outcome of a coin toss is now. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, but wager. I'm throwing it out there with the with the assurance that you're a good friend and you you will uh, you'll say no 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 no. Go ahead and take uh, guests, um, and we'll keep. Let me no no huh? let me uh, let me say as a good friend, um, I'm willing to both help you to erase your error. 
But I'm all, I also think it's important for you to learn a lesson <laughs> from that error. And so if that deal is serious, um, yes, you may certainly choose guest instead. And I will happily go first with Kalanissing Saga. Mm-hmm. What, what's that, Helga? <laughs> Hel- Helga's, Helga's giving me the eye. She thinks this is a bad deal. <laughs> I'm sorry, Helga. I'm going with guest. He's got the foresight to tell me oh. it'll all work out fine. Oh, well, Helga, you're more than welcome over at my hall. Uh, since Ref is there, we can certainly make room for the whole family. Oh, whatever. We, we even have we even have a match set of false beards for you to wear. <laughs> All right, there's our thing, man. I uh, get I like this the deal. Great guess, unprecedented, and you get the very <laughs> fictional uh, Ref. Good job. <laughs> Final rating. All right. I think uh, now that we're past that, and I'm very happy with my selection of ref, and you're happy settling for guest uh, at the at the cost after trading me a draft pick for him. Uh, <laughs> I think we're ready for final ratings. Well, I, I don't know if I'm settling for guest. I think you know had oh. I prepped properly, I I might have chosen <laughs> guest first. I mean, if you really are you really going to try this? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. If you think about it, John. Ref is oh, a work it, of fiction. Uh, he, he's look, not a real person. And in terms of family sagas and what we're looking for in family sagas, guest, a chieftain with foresight, very much like Nyal, mm-hmm. it's probably the better mm-hmm. choice. So what um, if he can't uh, work an ad so well? So essentially, you're going to go full on the sagas are history. <laughs> you're going to blow the book prosist argument out of the water just so that you can justify taking guest. I, I'm I'm just trying to suggest that maybe I won uh-huh. this one, but that's an argument think, for six I think years it's just from now. You we... want. It's it's one thing for you to slink out of here, having managed to finagle guest after your <laughs> egregious error. It's another thing for you to try to put lipstick on this pig and pretend that this is what you intended all along. How dare you call him a pig? <laughs> uh, he has he and I had a little chat in between our, our sections here, and uh, I think everything's going to be just fine. I, you know what? It's you're only making it worse for yourself. Uh, it's perfectly all right to understand that you were you went second and you made the best choice you could, yeah. but to pretend as you are doing now only embarrasses you. Well, fortunately, uh, six years from now when we do the uh, quarter court, no one will remember this saga, <laughs> and I'll probably be okay. Uh, oh, I think they'll remember Ref the Sly. <laughs> I think they'll remember Ref and his duck boat. Um, so, Andy. You may be uh, last in Thingman picking, but you are first in our hearts. Oh, thank and you. You are first with final ratings. All right. What do you think of this saga? Well, I mean, first, let me say that I was thoroughly impressed by the ingenuity of Ref and therefore by proxy, the author. And I'm going to be honest with you, John. Mm-hmm. When I first started thinking about the, rating this one, my yep. initial impulse was to give it a solid seven. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of the more fun sagas we've done. Where else are you going to see a fireproof house in the sagas? A fold-out mm. boat launch. A, a man <laughs> so clever with disguises that he can get away with wearing a fake beard <laughs> over his real beard. <laughs> Come on. But, you know, the more I think about this saga, the more I get confused. I know it was written in the 14th century, so the tastes of the author and audience are somewhat different from what we're used to. Do I dock at points for being unusual, not quite a family saga? Um, I, I don't think I can justify that entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you like to judge a saga largely on how well it fits into these forms and expectations of the family saga genre. Uh, I'm not such a stickler as all that. I like to reward sagas on their individual merits, taking each one on its own. 
uh, as much as, as possible. And this saga is meritorious in my opinion. But it's not a great saga. Simply because I think that the writer's craftsmanship begins to show cracks and weaknesses after Ref leaves Greenland for Norway. Mm. Uh, it kind of ends abruptly. Um, those those episodes in uh, Norway and and Denmark are not not great in my opinion, but uh, everything that comes before that is a rollicking good time, and so I'm giving this one a six. A six. So John, I'm curious. Are when you? you sat down and thought about this saga, especially with your very very picky tastes oh, of well. what makes a good saga and what doesn't, you say that. What did you come up with? Because um, I know you like I mean, this. I know you like this one. Right. I mean, look, what can't we say about this saga? I mean, it's a treat to read. I enjoyed this thoroughly. I mean, Ref's adventures and his tricksy nature are a delight. I'm really glad that we chose this for a kind of halfway point saga. It's such a palate cleanser of a story. Mm-hmm. It's it's full of adventure and surprises. There's almost no seriousness to the story at all. I mean, despite the body count, it's it it feels like sort of a boy's own adventure. So there's there's almost no sort of consequences to it. Ref's a superhuman figure. Right? I mean, he's never in any real danger from his enemies. And by the time we realize that he can build a boat from a toy model, construct a fire suppression system, build amphibious vehicles, I mean, he's clearly in the realm of literary and folkloric motifs. Yeah. Uh, but the story has its more sophisticated literary charms as well. I think it's cleverly paced for most of its length. I agree with you that it, it shows signs of cracking toward the end. But it's well paced up to that point. Uh, the characters are simple, but I think they're satisfyingly archetypal. Uh, and there's the whole extended joke about Ref being a fox, which we barely discussed. Mm-hmm. Andy, we didn't even talk about how the attempt to burn Ref in his Fortress of Solitude reflects a Scandinavian practice of burning foxes in their dens. Mm. And just like in this saga, it almost never worked because foxes always have multiple exits planned. There's a lot to enjoy here, and you can sort of play with it on a lot of levels. Uh, but I think there is another side to this, and it's one that you alluded to. Right? I do tend to think more in terms of uh, genre comparisons and how the sagas represent the the uh, tradition. Uh, the main reason this story was such a change of pace for us is that it's it's not really a saga at all, or at least it's not our kind of saga. Uh, Ref Saga appears in a manuscript alongside two other slightly goofy sagas, uh, the saga of Thord Menace and Kjalnessing Saga, which we're going to be covering in our next episode. Uh, but the rest of the manuscript is made up of legendary sagas, and I think we can see how Ref fits in with those. He exists along a continuum between the legendary type of saga and the Icelanders variety. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really weighted toward the legends. Uh, it's a lot of fun, uh, and I did enjoy that. Uh I can't rank it among the best of the sagas, like you. You know, I I wanted to go high, uh, but it doesn't represent sagas as a genre terribly well. And I do agree with you that toward the end, especially, it shows uh, the cracks in the narrative. The author isn't really sure what to do with the story after a certain point. Mm-hmm. I can't completely tank it either. Uh, like most of the scholars who've written on Ref, I'm charmed by it. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I do recommend people read it. I'm, I'm not going to be giving it a 9 or a 10, but I recommend people read it anyway. It's got And it's got enough saga elements that I'm really glad that we are including it. I think I have to rank this as a delightful outlier. I mean, if I could give it a sort of rating of X, I would. Uh, but instead, I'm giving it a 6.5, and I wish it could be a little bit higher. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I feel very similar. And I, I thought about 6.5, but what's a 0.5 really? You know. Well, it's the difference between my score and yours. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it refs, it's such an interesting one. Um, yep. You know, it's 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 a great saga mm-hmm. up to a certain point. I think one of one of the reasons I end up giving it a six is that I I really wanted it to keep going, and I feel like it just kind of mm-hmm. quits. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a whole story to be told here that never gets told. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this could, if the author had taken this in the direction of like Saint Brendan's Voyage. Mm-hmm. Where you know you just take Ref and his toy boat and his crew and have them visit all kinds of outlandish places and yeah. just really lean into the idea that this is a fantasy story. I think you'd really you know that would be a lot of fun. It doesn't um, even need to be a fantasy story necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about Harold Hardrada. If you read that saga, he travels right. around and right. he plays tricks everywhere he goes. Right. Um, and he's very very clever. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of ingenuity there. That one reads really well, and I would rank that one really, really high, though not a, not a family saga. This one right. doesn't have that same kind of energy all the mm-hmm. way through. It's not consistent. And so uh, yeah, it suffers from that. Yeah. And I, I would say, I mean, it's a, it is a delight to read. And I think, you know, people shouldn't get the idea from a kind of, our kind of medium scores uh, that they shouldn't read this. This is absolutely a fine saga to read. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and there are little treats sort of all through it. And mm-hmm. I think it's the kind of saga that also really re- rewards a second or third reading as well, which not every saga necessarily does. Um, but so enjoy it, uh, but understand that it is kind of it's an entity unto itself. Absolutely. All right. So that's a six from me and a six point five from John, leaving a total of twelve point five. There's my math skills at work. <laughs> Thank God you explained that to folks. <laughs> Now, before we go, we have a couple of reminders and announcements. Reminders and announcements. Yes, we're a full-service podcast, Andy. All right. Well, then I will take care of the announcements. We've got a few new episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, John, you recently spoke with Kat Jarman uh, about the burial site in England associated with the Great Heathen Army. Yeah, that was a great time. Uh, Kat Jarman's a bioarchaeologist. Which is a slightly less cool way of saying she studies human remains. Which is a slightly less cool way of saying that she's a body botherer. <laughs> Uh, now, she's the lead on a team that's been reevaluating the evidence for the Great Heathen Army's winter camp in Repton, England, in 873 and 874. Mm-hmm. And she was willing to talk to me about it, which was really very nice of her because she's very busy. <laughs> uh, Andy's working on getting that into shape. And since I was in charge of recording the sound, there's a lot to fix. <laughs> uh, but we're hoping to have that available when? Well, uh, I've had to make a f- series of sacrifices to the editing gods, but the auguries, are they looking good? I would say probably, mm. uh, I would say a week or two after after this one goes up. Excellent. And that's not the only saga brief coming up. I think we mentioned this already, but we have a great conversation with historical archery experts Patricia Gonzalves and Stephen Fox that we recorded a couple months ago. And that one should be up soon as well. I'm looking forward to hearing that one. Uh, we're also uh, starting our next saga, uh, Kjalnasing Saga, uh, the saga of the people of Kjalarnes. Uh Look for that in April, I think. And there are a few other treats in store coming up. Another Ragnarsson episode, we hope. Another saga short covering a Thouter. Uh, we are burning the whale oil at both ends for you around here. <laughs> That's an unfortunate turn of phrase. <laughs> it sounds unpleasant for the whale. Yeah. Uh, I also want to remind everyone that our first official saga thing contest is up and running. Woohoo! Uh, the contest is simple. Woohoo! Uh, without spending any money, or risking the safety or freedom of yourself or anyone else, 
create some way of promoting this podcast. Yes, the entries have been coming in, and so far we've had people making billboards out of snow, writing messages on sandy beaches, writing reviews on various websites, uh, but there are still so many ways to tell people about this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this podcast exists because Andy and I love what we do, and we want to share it with anyone who will listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're essentially a couple of Cliff Clavins with a microphone. I don't like that uh, comparison. So- Oh, well, there it is. Uh, Far more of a norm <laughs> suck than it a Cliff Clavin. You can, be, you can be norm if you want. All right, that's fair. Uh, so this contest is about recruiting you to help us reach more people. That's right. And uh, be creative out there. You know, you guys, I've seen a lot of your talents. I think you can, uh, you can step up your game and send us a cool picture of whatever you can come mm-hmm. up with. Because there are prizes. I'm talking about t-shirt prizes, people. <laughs> Which, because we're clever buggers, is also a way of promoting the podcast. Brilliant. Thank you. How long do people have to get their entries in, John? Well, in keeping with the complete lack of forethought that went into this contest in the first place, we never decided that. Hmm. Uh, I think we should give people some time to come up with an idea. Uh, Why don't we say about two months from when we announced it originally? That would put us in mid-May. Does May 15th work for you? All right, then. The Ides of May it is. Oh. Um, And how do people get those entries into us? This is... Is the 21st century, John. Why don't you ask the Duck Knight? So they keep telling me, yes. (laughs) No, there are so many options. Uh, Just send us a picture, a video, or some other evidence of your effort. Uh, You can email us at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. You can tag us on Twitter, where we are at sagathingpod. Or on Facebook, where we are sagathingpodcast. Or you can stop by our WordPress blog which is sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Or you can put a message in a bottle, seal it well, throw it off of a German naval vessel, and wait for it to wash up on shore. Just make sure it's a fast bottle so you beat the deadline. You can also get in touch to ask us questions, offer comments, or tell us what we got horribly and unforgivably wrong in these judgments. I assume you'll all want to write in and tell John what a mistake he made taking the mass murderer Ref the Sly as his thingman. Slander. Come on. You're just jealous that my meat hall is going to have drawbridges and steam engine duck boats. A little. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's. But have you tasted Helga's cooking? Whoo. <laughs> All right. That's enough of our nonsense. It's late and you people all have contests to enter. We will be back soon with John's interview with Kat Jarman. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Can I have a ride in that boat? Uh, sure. We'll take it out for a drive. So, so, John, I'm, I'm, that couldn't be. That couldn't have been more awkward if one of us had stood up and dropped our pants. <laughs>